you were healed. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. God, I pray that you would anoint me. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross this morning, that you would preach through me. Lord, I didn't come to put on a show. I didn't come to impress anybody. I come to share your word and to see people saved. And God, that's, that's my main, that's my heart's desire. God, if there's any pride in me, Lord, take it out. If there's any of that stuff that's in me that don't need to be in me, take it out so that I can preach your word in spirit and in truth. And that, God, that I would, that I would Lord, wouldn't do an injustice to a sinner that's in here that might need you. God, I pray that you would anoint me and touch me. Lord, I've already been nervous. I've already been tripping over my words. And, God, I just pray that you would take that all away and that, God, you do the preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Verse number 9 is my key verse this morning. This is the text that I'll be going from. Verse 9 said, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, back about eight years ago, the first time that I had ever read this verse, I, I, I just started Bible college. I was, I mean, I was new to trying to get started preaching. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I think Brother Malcolm run me off from here just so that I, I wouldn't be a hindrance to him at that time because I was constantly, well, what about this and what about this? And he said, man, just go to college. So, but anyway, I'm up there and I'm reading this. And in this verse, I believe is probably the first time that I was really reading and studying the Bible and God spoke to me. Now, I'm not talking about the sky split open and I heard his audible voice. But in my heart, God interpreted this verse for me. And I was reading, and I, as I went, went through there, I was reading, I said, but you're a chosen generation. I thought, man, chosen generation. That sounds pretty good. I was like, I like that. And then I went a little farther. You're a royal priesthood. And I said, oh, yeah. Join heirs with Jesus, baby. My daddy's the king. I liked it. Got a little bit farther in there, and it says, in a holy nation. I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. And then the next two caught me off guard. A peculiar people. I said, say what? I said, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? Now, all this other stuff sounds real good. I'm all about being a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And, but a peculiar people? Peculiar. Because in our minds, Buchanan, if I were to say that you were a peculiar person, well, most of us would agree. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You're on the front row, man. You're so easy. No. No, yeah. Next time he gets a shot, he's going to be on me. But, but that word peculiar, in our society today, when we hear that word, we think strange, weird, atypical, different. And I'm going through there and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world are you trying to tell me? You, you build me up to tear me down? Oh yeah, you're, you're a chosen generation, but you're a little weird. <laughs> well, and I got to studying that word peculiar out and I went over into my, into my Strong's Concordance and I looked up that word and I found out that in the Hebrew meaning for the word peculiar, you'll find the translation gulah, G-U-L-L-A-H. And in that translation, that word gulah means, means wealth or value. That sounds a little better. So now he's saying, not only am I a chosen generation, am I a royal priesthood, am I a holy nation, but yet I'm valuable to him. 
Man, that sounds pretty good. Now, now I, I, I just, I, that's a major upgrade from weird. If you didn't, you, I just went from weird to valuable. And man, I was like, oh man, that's good stuff. And I was thinking, Lord, I'm, thank you so much that you value me. Look, look at your neighbor this morning and say, I'm valuable to God. Oh, come on, it's fun. Say, I'm valuable to God. He said, he looked down at me. As goofy as I can be. I can be goofy. Those guys at Chick-fil-A know it. I can be goofy. Looked at me, all my faults, all my failures, everywhere where I make mistakes, and all that makes up this quirky guy, Scott Campbell, and said, that's valuable to me. I said, man, that's good stuff. And then, but then, I told you I was a freshman in Bible college, so I didn't know a whole lot at the time. Then I learned that, wait a second, the New Testament was written in Greek. And I was like, oh, man. But I done got this good stuff to go with this message. You know, I'm valuable to God. So I flipped over and I looked up the word peculiar in the Greek side of the Strong's Concordance. And it was the word periopoesis. Periopoesis. I'm not going to spell that one for you. But periopoesis means purchased. <laughs> this thing's going to get good. Because you see... Before the cross, before Jesus died on the cross, spilt his blood, and paid for my sin, I was valuable. But then, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Oh my goodness. And then when he gave his son and his blood was spilled on the cross, on the other side of that cross, when God looks down at me, he says, you're mine. Not am I just valuable to him. I was so valuable to him. You were so valuable to him that he sent his son to purchase you. So if I get a little bit excited this morning, if I shout a little bit, maybe you don't like that. If, it, if I wear a ditch in between this place, walking back and forth, you just have to pardon me. I'm a peculiar person. I believe that there's three different characteristics that we can look at that we will find in people to determine whether or not that they're, if they're a peculiar person. Three different characteristics. The first one is this. A peculiar person is someone, is someone who has trusted in the Lord's goodness. Who has trusted in the Lord's goodness. I want to read you those verses again right quick. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, this is verse 21, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on a tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. A peculiar person is someone who is trusted in the Lord's goodness. He's trusted in his Lord's goodness for two things. One, for an enjoyable life. For an enjoyable life. Man, I, I'll just be honest with you. That hit, I, I'm not against work. I work every day, 5.30 to 2. I've done made 10 pans of biscuits before most people wake up in the morning. But I'm not against work. But man, I tell you what, I do not live for work. 
Thank God for my job in a Christian environment with people that when I leave in the afternoon, I can say, love you guys, see you later. Because that's just not tolerated everywhere you go. And I love my job and I have a great time doing it, but I don't live for my job. I want to have an enjoyable life. God wants us to have an enjoyable life. I like what he told the guys over there. He told them in Nehemiah, he said, And they took strong cities, and in fat lands, and possessed houses full of... And I didn't give you guys this verse, this is my fault. Houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards, and and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat, and were filled, and became fat. I think that's my life verse. And delighted, their, and delighted themselves in, in great goodness. He said that they trusted him so much. Over in Nehemiah, they trusted him so much that he was going to provide and that he was going to take care of them. Every city they went to, they conquered. Every step they took, God said, take this, take that, it's yours. And he just blessed and blessed and blessed and overflowed. Why? Because they were trusting God for an enjoyable life. And he said, not only did they, were they able to take the land, but the land that they took wasn't a dried up desert. The land that they were able to get was land that, that they, could, they could harvest and that they could, they could farm. And it produced a lot of great fruit. Is your life enjoyable in producing fruit? Man, you know, I, I live my life to produce fruit. Not, and I'm not, I ain't talking about no Joel Osteen, have your best life now and all that stuff. I mean, if you like that stuff, that's fine and good and he's, whatever. But there's, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about having a life that, that the fruit that I produce, I can share with someone else. You know what brings a Christian joy more than anything else is when they get to help others. Why is it that 95% of Christians today have the gift of service? Because it brings such joy in your heart to get to serve somebody else. But we've trusted Him the Lord, in the Lord's goodness for an enjoyable life. But not just for an enjoyable life, but for eternal life. For eternal life. Those verses said that when He was reviled, He, was, he reviled not back. And it talks about how he never sinned and how he lived the perfect life. And he gave us an example of what we were supposed to be. He said to trust in him for eternal life. You know what that means? The reason why that verse is there is because we cannot trust in ourselves for our salvation. Man, if you're trying to work your way there, you're going to work yourself to death and then going to be very disappointed. Not by God. Not by works, but by grace are you saved through faith. Man, we've trusted in Him for eternal life. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Not one thing. I know and there's people that believe that they can pedal their bicycles up and down the streets and pass out enough tracks and they can get there. There's people that believe that they can, I've said this before, they can hijack airplanes and crash them into buildings and that's going to get them there. And they've got all these different ways of trying to get there when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. 
It's not about how good we can be. It's about looking at what He did on the cross and saying, God, you've did everything for me, and I accept that. I believe... It. I, I have a problem with people that just say, well, I believe in Jesus. So that's going to get you there? Because, and they'll throw John 3.16 up there. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But that word believeth doesn't just mean to have a knowledge of. That word believeth doesn't just mean to, to know that there was a Jesus. I mean, the scholars will tell you there was a Jesus. The devil will tell you that there was a Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus, and then they tremble. That word believed is not just to have a knowledge of, but it's to have a trust in. To have an acceptance of. To know that what He did on the cross paid for your sin. And accept the payment. It's like a coupon. You get to cash it in. Everybody on this earth is born with a coupon. It's just whether or not they cash it in, Brother Buchanan. Because He died for the whole world. And gives everyone the opportunity to accept Him and to trust in His goodness for eternal life. Not only has a peculiar person trusted in the Lord, not only has he trusted in the Lord's goodness, but he's also been transformed for the Lord's glory. Transformed for the Lord's glory. I showed a video a while back. We, Brother Kendrick gave me the opportunity to, to share a message, the devotion in D222. And... Uh, if I had time, I'd have shared it today. But it was from a guy. His name is Brian Head Welch. This guy, he was the, he was the lead drummer for the band Corn. Awful, awful band. I mean, just craziness. And the craziest thing happened to Brian Welch. He got miraculously saved. He, I'm talking about this guy has... Tattoos from the tips of his fingers to the tips of his toes. All up his neck and on his face and everything else. Looks, I mean, looks. He looks peculiar. <laughs> but I mean, he, he does. I mean, he just... And, and sin will take you down that road. It will. And, he's, and he just looks the part of, you know, a demonic type person. And he said that he was at his, he said, I was at the top of my game. He said, there's never been a time in my life. He said, I had a dream that I would just be a rock star. And that, that was what I always wanted to do as a kid was play the drums in a big band. He said, I had played more shows than I ever thought I'd play. He said, I made more money than I ever thought that I would play. He said, every time I would get on stage, women were screaming my name. He said, and, it, and he thought that he was living the best life ever. He said, but every day when I went home, something was missing. He said, I had more money than I've ever had in my life. I was absolutely miserable. You know what he could have done and saved him all that heartache? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He could have read the book of Ecclesiastes and saw where Solomon had already went through all that same stuff that he did. And in the end of it all, he said, vanity, vanity, vanity. After he had done all there was to do and had all there was to have, it left him empty. Brian Welch said, I'm empty. I, I'm empty. How can you say, how can you have billions, or, well, millions of dollars 
in the bank and say, I'm empty? How can you have all the cars and fine houses that you possibly want? And we look at those things and go, and I want nice things. But he looks at those and says, he's had all that that he wants. But he was empty. Because until you fill the void in your heart with Jesus Christ, you are going to be empty. What about that void in your heart this morning? What's it filled with? Have you, have you tried to, to fill it with, with money? Have you tried to fill it with work? Have you tried to fill it with possessions? Because until Jesus plugs that hole, it's a bottomless pit. And you will be miserable until he fills that spot. Been transformed for the Lord's glory. Brian Welch goes and he gets saved. Just winds up in a church. Gets saved and then he comes and he comes home to his little girl. and He told his little girl, he said, you know what? I'm quitting corn. She said, you're doing what? His little daughter, he'd already lost her mother to meth. said, I'm quitting corn. You're going to quit corn? What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to take care of you. And she said, you're going to stay home, little girl. You're going to stay home with me, Daddy? And this guy (laughs) is living a victorious Christian life after living hell on earth. Been transformed. But you know what Brian Welch is doing? He's making videos like I am second. You know why? Because what is our job after being transformed? It's to give the Lord glory. You say, well, I've been transformed. I know I'm saved. I, man, I'm so saved that I could swing over hell with a vine soaked in kerosene and I wouldn't even get burned. You, all that good stuff. I'd go through hell with a water pistol. I know. I, <laughs> you might be. But is it getting glory out of you? There's a change in attitude. There's a change in attitude. I remember when I got saved. I remember when I got saved, it went from self to service. I just, I tell this a lot, and I've probably told this to y'all before, but I remember when I first got saved, I had a filthy, filthy mouth. I just did, and I was just every other word. I didn't think nothing about it. It was just how I talked. And then... After I got saved, I started noticing when people would cuss and stuff, Brother Johnny. Brother Johnny knows what I'm talking about. Him and Will both. They were mean as the devil. <laughs> Brother Johnny told me Will was, and Will told me Johnny was. So, and they <laughs> That's the truth. And, and look at them now. Two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Love everybody. Working the care team. How about that? But I remember, man, I just had a filthy, filthy mouth. Every other word out of my mouth was awful. And I'd start to hear these words, and I'd hear somebody say, I mean, it'd get me. Man, why? They got to, hmm, really? You got to use that right there? You know, and it just started getting on me. And I remember thinking, I need to quit cussing. If it's bothering me that bad when they do it, it's probably bothering somebody else that bad when I do it. I remember starting to try to quit cussing. You know, I don't know if anybody else ever did this. But I would literally count the cuss words. Did anybody else do that? I would count the cuss words that I would say in the course of a day. I remember coming home in the afternoon, hey, I only said 13 today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I do. I, you think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. I'd come home, oh, I got it down to 11. And they wasn't even the big ones. They was, 
My life was PG-13. I was proud. But man, he start to change. He start taking things away from you. Start, I mean, and all of a sudden, my, next thing I knew, he was calling me to preach. He said, well, I guess since I ain't cussing no more, he can preach now. <laughs> Nothing worse than a cussing preacher. <laughs> but he changed my attitude. Every, everything from everything from within me and what I was began to change. And you know what, Brother Malcolm said last week, but it's just good. I may not be what I'm supposed to be, but I ain't what I used to be. And praise the Lord, I'm not what I'm going to be. Like, just like that little kid song, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Come on, sing it with me. Y'all know it. <laughs> It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. Amen. How many of you still working on you this morning? Amen. Not only a change in attitude, put my next one up there, I done forgot it, but a change in atmosphere. A change in atmosphere. You know, one of the things that I have a difficulty with is talking with somebody and like, yeah, I'm saved, man. I believe in Jesus. And I done gave my heart to the Lord. Where do you go to church? Well, I can't, um, uh, you know, I'm over there at, uh, baby, what's the name of that church we go to? <laughs> she said, what church? <laughs> <laughs> when folks get saved, now, I, I understand. You can fall away, but God's got a weird way of bringing you back to where you're supposed to be. Amen? And it changed my atmosphere. Went, went from the whole club scene and the party scene to all that to the church scene. I stuck out like a sore thumb, too. I remember I was in the nursery at First Baptist Gardendale where I got saved, and I was coming up in there. I had long hair, and I had uh, the... Uh, what you call it, the hemp necklaces. I thought, man, if I... And I just, I stuck out like a sore thumb. But man, I was happy to be in church. I just wanted to be where God's people were. I wanted to be where they were smiling and singing and having a big time in Jesus. And you know what? I, for people that I wouldn't even want to hang out with, all of a sudden I was like, hey, what you doing on the weekend? Because I didn't want to be hanging out with the people that I was no more. I remember Brother Johnny, I don't know, if, if you, this ever happened to you, but man, I drank a lot, and when, uh, when I got saved, I was shooting pool at the house, and the guy came over, and I had a little wooden necklace on, and uh, it was kind of dangling as I was down there shooting, and he took his pool stick, and he hooked it on that, on that chain, and he said, what's this all about? I said, man, Jesus done changed my life. You ain't going to believe He said, oh, come on, have a beer. And I said, no, man, ain't going to be doing that no more. I didn't give my, I'm telling you, he changed me. And he gave me the opportunity to, instead of just being, oh, I'm, let's go and, you know, to the party, or let's go do this, let's go to that. But to gave me the opportunity to glorify his name by witnessing to my friends. I was on Facebook the other day. A buddy of mine named Brandon Kingston. Wild as the night is long. I mean, just wild. He instant messaged me. Man, I got something to tell you. 
I said, what is it? I got on there. What is it? He said, want you to know I gave my life to the Lord. I hadn't seen Brandon in a long time. But he knew when I quit coming around, why I quit coming around. And who was the first person that he thought of whenever he got saved? He needed to call and tell. Hit me up. Let me know that he got saved. Man, we've been transformed for the Lord's glory. Say you've been transformed, but are you giving God glory with your life? Are you serving in a ministry wherever you go to church? If you go to a church here, if you go to church somewhere else, are you serving in a ministry where God is getting glory from your life? If not, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Man, get involved. Got a thousand things people to do around here. We need, we need all the help we can get. All the help we can get. God's doing amazing things out here. Man, this place is filling up. Done going to two services, trying to figure out what we're going to do once we fill up two. Man, we need help. Serve the Lord. Give Him glory with your life. Amen. Number three, and I'll be done. What was number one? Number one, you can recognize a peculiar person because there's someone who has trusted in the Lord's goodness. But two... You can recognize a peculiar person because they have the characteristic that they've been transformed for the Lord's glory. For the Lord's glory. And number three, a peculiar person has tasted of the Lord's grace. Tasted of the Lord's grace. I've, uh, I remember the night that I tasted of it. You know what? I tasted of a little bit of it this morning. I tasted some of it last night. Can I just say this? It gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by. Tasted of the Lord's grace. What about His grace? How about His sufficient grace? Tasted of His sufficient grace. Paul said, God, if, if you just take this away from me, if you just remove this thorn from my flesh, I could do amazing things for you. If you, would just, if you would just remove this from my life, man, I could really do amazing things for you. But what did God say? He said, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient. It's not about you removing. If God just removed every trial and every temptation we ever had, wouldn't, would we ever go to him and say, God, help me, God. He wants, us to, he wants us to buddy up to him. He wants us to love on him so that... So that he can have that relationship for us. He, sometimes he puts that thorn there so that you can experience his grace. Because guess what? There's other folks that have thorns. And a lot of times God don't take them away. But you know what we can tell them? His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. When the baby dies that you don't know what's going on. And the only, the only, the only emotion that you can feel is anger. His grace is sufficient, am I right? His grace is sufficient. Brother Russell, whenever he moves you back to Coleman for the third time, his, say, I don't know what's going on here, but I've done, I've done moved and come back, moved and come back. You just trust in him. His grace is sufficient. And whatever. You're, cancer. Miss Brenda, is his grace sufficient during Cancer. That lost daddy, that lost mama. His grace is sufficient. No matter 
what the situation is that you go through. No matter what it is that stands in front of you, no matter what that iron gate is that you're waiting on God to move out of the way, His grace is sufficient. But not only the sufficient grace, I'm almost done, but I've tasted of His saving grace. You say, well, this has just been a salvation message all the way around. It's Sunday morning. There's lost people here. I'm preaching on Jesus. Amen? I want them to know that there's hope. But I've tasted of His saving grace. I thank God for that day, December 5th, 1999, when he put his arms around me and reached down to where I was. And he told me, I looked at him, I said, I don't deserve salvation. He said, I know. So good to me. I've tasted of his saving grace. I can lay my head on my pillow at night, and I don't have to worry about if I don't open them back up on this side. Because if I open them up on the other side, I'm looking at Jesus. I don't, I don't have to question it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fear it. I don't fear death. I don't fear, you know, I'm flesh. I'm human. I think, well, if I died, I sure would miss my kids. I sure would miss my wife. And yeah, and I would. That's my flesh. Because I've got a God who died for me. Waiting on me on the other side. And guess what? According to their testimony, my wife and both my kids are saved. So they're going to be with me anyway. Just a little while, they'll be coming on up. I've tasted of his grace. There's a story of, a, of one of these philosopher guys who had rented a giant, just a, one of those huge civic centers, and he had had the whole invitation where he was getting everybody there, and they were all coming, and he was going to get in there, and as he, he wanted to talk about how we needed to all come together as one religion, whether it's Buddhist or Muslim or Christianity and all these different things. And he wanted to talk about how, oh, it's just one God. Man's just got it twisted. You know the kind of guy I'm talking about. And he got up there and he opened up his notes and he began to read from his notes and he started talking about the Buddhist. And he started talking about the Muslims. And he got to the Christians and he said, and the Christians, they just make me especially sick. All this mercy and faith and love and grace and 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 he just went on and on. But what he didn't know, there's a little black preacher man on the front row, and he was sitting there, and he just he just raised his hand. He said, "I ain't never had nobody raise a hand at a conference before. There's thousands of people." And he stuck his hand up. He's just annoyed, so he said, Yes, sir, can I help you? And the black preacher, he stands up and begins to peel a banana. He starts peeling that thing away. He goes, I just have one question for you. And he said, what is, What's the question? He said, What does this banana taste like? Is it bitter or is it sweet? He said, Do what? How, where are you going with this? He said, Simple question. What does a banana taste like? I know I'm not supposed to talk with my mouthful. <laughs> he said, What does this banana taste like? And he said, Sir, I don't know where where you're coming from with this. He said, But 
you know, my time is valuable and all these people came to hear me, not some quack on the front row. He said, well, then just answer the question and I will sit down. He said, just tell me, is this banana bitter or is this banana sweet? And he said, sir, now you know as well as I do, I cannot possibly tell you if that banana is bitter or sweet if I have not tasted that banana. And that black preacher said, that is exactly my point. He said, how can you tell me anything about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, if you ain't never tasted of it before? Oh yeah, everybody's got the fix. Everybody knows what they're talking about. They don't know the God we serve, but they know us. They got us pegged. Oh, we're that, we're that crazy crowd. Oh, they just, don't, they just don't think we ought to have a good time. They just, don't, they just don't want homosexuals getting married. They just don't want pe- women to be able to have the right to abort their bodies. No, it's not about that. It's about having a personal relationship with the living, loving God and obeying His standards. It's not standards to keep people from having a good time. It's standards to keep you safe. Do you realize that if you follow the standards that are in the Bible, there is no possible way you can get AIDS? It's the truth. They say, oh, those Christians, they're just out there ruining our day. It's like that little dog. You ever seen them little yapper dogs? And I'm done. You ever seen them little yapper dogs? They think that they are German shepherds. (laughs) They do. I mean, and they just... Well, this one guy, he had one, he stuck it in his backyard on a, on a fence, or in the fence, and every day he would run up to that fence and the big dogs would walk, the bulldogs and the pit bulls and all, and they'd be walking by and he'd just, and all along he's thinking, man, if I ever just could get out of this fence, I would tear that thing up. What would happen to that yapper dog? He'd be a furball and a bone. That's all that'd be left of him. Our country, our country, our nation, America, I love it. But we've gotten away from the standard that's in that Bible. We've moved the fence. We've dug under the fence. And our nation's being chewed up by the bigger dog. And it's about to be spit out a furball and a piece of bone. But yet, whenever the Christians say, hey, if we just were to follow the guidelines that God put in his book, Everything, we're the crazy ones. I sure am glad that I've tasted of his grace, though. I've read the end of the book. I know how it turns out. We win. Isn't that good to know? If you love the Lord, say amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, for helping me to preach. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that hasn't ever tasted of that grace, Lord, if they can't stand and say, I'm a peculiar person, Lord, if they, if they don't know about your salvation, then God, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, that they give, they give their life to you. And Lord, they would live their life for you. No turning back, no turning back, and run for you, serving you with their life, with all their strength and power. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen. Every head's bowed.